0: Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. Today we are talking with Congressman Tom Swazi, a Democrat. Who is running in the primary for governor that vote, we think we're pretty sure is going to happen in June. Uh, There's a lot of confusion around some of the elections happening this year, as many listeners of this show probably know, Uh, but we are most likely still looking at a June vote in the Democratic primary for governor. That Congressman Swazi is running in against Governor Kathy Hochul, against public advocate Jamani Williams, and one or two other people are on the ballot, but it's pretty much a three way race for the Democratic nomination for governor. And Congressman Tom Swazi will be joining me here for a conversation about his campaign for governor in just a moment. Very quickly, if you've missed any of our recent reporting, find us at GothamGazette.com. We've been covering a lot of matters related to New York State and city politics, as always, some of the outcomes of the state budget that was passed last month in April, uh, a variety of other decisions coming up in the state legislative session that's ongoing until early June. And at the city level, we are in the heat of city budget season, and we've been examining a lot of what Mayor Eric Adams is trying to do, what the city council is pushing back on and where negotiations are heading there. We are speaking here on Thursday, May 12, 2022. Here on the show, I've had a lot of great and interesting conversations recently. You can find all those at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts, or we have them all at the Gotham Gazette site. I won't go into the full list of recent guests, but just recently, I had some really good conversations with two civic leaders about the future of uh, Manhattan Central Business Districts, especially, and uh, the business climate and communities in New York City. Some economic trends and so forth. I spoke with Jessica Lappin, uh, uh, the president of the Downtown Alliance, about Lower Manhattan, its present and future. And I spoke with Kathy Weil, the president CEO of the Partnership for New York City. About what the city's major employers are looking at in terms of return to office, the city's economic climate, what they want from Mayor Adams, and so forth. So, those are just two highlights of recent conversations here on the podcast. All right, Congressman Swazi, thank you so much for being here with me today. How are you?
1: Great. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. And June 28th, you kept on saying June, June, June. We got to tell everybody. June well, 28th
0: There's is early the voting primary. Yes, there's early voting. That starts a little earlier. But yes, June 28th is primary day, as far as we know right now. Do you have an opinion on that, by the way? Do you think there should be a consolidated primary in August now that there's been a court ruling that the state Senate and congressional primaries have to be in August? Would you like to see The state assembly and statewide primaries moved from June to August as well.
1: Well, I think that it would save taxpayers money and it would be a higher turnout if we did it in a consolidated primary in August.
0: Would give you a little more time in your campaign, too.
1: I, I hope I have the energy to stick it out there. I think it's going to be June 28th, though, because the governor doesn't want to move it to June 28th because she's worried that Cuomo will try and get into the race. Ah, interesting. So uh, I think she's just I think we can count on her
0: self-interest to make sure that it stays June 28th. All right. It seems like that's likely she she was asked about that recently and she sort of. Indicated that she she thinks it's sticking there too. So yes, June primary, June twenty eighth primary day, early voting a little bit before that, and we are getting close. We are basically just over a month from the start of early voting. All right, so we're going to get into a whole bunch of things about your campaign, but let me ask you right now, a pressing issue right now. There's this uh, baby formula shortage that all of a sudden, you know, to, to many, all of a sudden, sort of sprang up on the country. If you're governor today. And this becomes an evident problem in New York and elsewhere. What do you do as governor to to take on something this important where you where you have uh, the most vulnerable among us at at risk uh, of not, you know, not having enough to eat and not having enough nutrition? If I was
1: the governor facing an issue like this, this issue specifically or an issue like it, I'd use the purchasing power of the state uh, to try and find a way to supply this directly uh, for people. Because this is really this is one of those things that just shocks the conscience that you can't uh, imagine the idea that babies know, can't get baby formula. I mean, there's not many other alternatives unless they're being naturally breastfed. But usually once you're doing formula, you're you're off that. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to go back.
0: And um, the other uh, recent major change in the news uh, that New York has been reacting to that sort of, you know, tied in with national issues is this leaked... Uh, Supreme Court majority draft opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade. How do you assess um, the response here in New York, Governor Hochul's response? Would you have done anything differently than than she's done in response so far? Are there things you want to see the state do more of, less of? Do you think the response has been overblown? Do you think it's been appropriate? Um, what other steps would you take or not take uh, in reaction to that leaked draft opinion, which could become um some semblance of it could become coming down from the court in June, uh, or it could or it might not.
1: I have a 100 percent rating from Planned Parenthood, uh, and I think that we have to do everything we can to ensure that abortion remains safe, legal and accessible in New York state. And uh, I don't think there's any daylight between the governor, governor and I on this issue. Uh, I, I support the idea of Uh, putting in more funding uh, for New York state, acting as a national model. The only thing I would do differently is I would want the state to also be a national model in trying to prevent unintended pregnancies by promoting education and contraception. Uh, So I think that, uh, you know, there's a whole host of issues we face in society from unintended pregnancies, Uh, education and
0: contraception are the way to address that. Mm All right, let's zoom out. You're running for governor here. Uh, you ran once before a while back, 2006. Um
1: I ran You ran against Elliot Spitzer. Didn't, <sighs> turn well uh-huh. Didn't turn out very well for me. Didn't turn out very well for Elliot Spitzer either as we know. <laughs> and uh, uh, but I learned a lot and this
0: is a very different race. Is is yeah, well, okay. So wh- a, what have you learned um, either through that race or just in the interim? You've had a lot of obviously a lot of a lot more government experience since then, political experience since then, and, and opportunity to get to know New Yorkers even better and, and travel the state more and so forth. Um, but what have you learned since then that's informing your perspective now? And why do you continue to maintain that you'd be a really good governor for the state of New York? Well, they're related.
1: You know, I'm a proven executive. I know how to get things done in government. I'm trained as a certified public accountant and attorney. I was the mayor of my hometown for eight years, uh, Learned, did my 10,000 hours to learn to, how to make government work at a small level. <clears throat> I was the county executive of Nassau County for eight, eight years. Uh, Budget bigger than 11 states in the United States of America, turned it around, ran the 12th largest police department in the country, bigger than Detroit or Boston. uh, And I've been in Congress for five and a half years. I know how government works. I'm a proven executive who knows how to get things done. I think a big difference between then and now, as far as I go, is I've always said you need three things to change the world, to change anything. You need three things. One, you need the answer. What do you want to change it to? I always had that. I think, you know, you can get that information by talking to smart people and think tanks and researching. You can, getting the answers is the easier part. Two, you need the guts to stand up to the status quo. Uh, When you try and change things, The people that benefit from the way things are now are going to try and squash you like a bug and stop you from being successful. That's why it's so hard to change things. We've been debating the same things in our country for 30 years, from climate change to immigration, to healthcare and prescription drugs, to guns. You know, 30 years, same same fights we've been having the whole time I've been in public life. Uh, But the third thing you need to change things is the ability to win. You have to understand how the press works, how the politics works. How the legislation works, how the bureaucracy works, uh, and I think that I've always had one and th- one, elements one and two, but I didn't have element number three. I didn't understand the complicated nature of New York state politics. It's an insider's game, really. Uh, the governor raised an enormous amount of money, more than Cuomo ever did or Spitzer or Patterson or Pataki. She raised him in a shorter period of time. Uh, how did she raise that money? She raised the money not because people said, oh, I'm so inspired by the vision of of the Buffalo Bills stadium. I'm so inspired by Brian Benjamin as your pick. I'm so inspired by your refusal to address crime. I'm so inspired by your refusal to address the tax problem we have in New York state. No, she collected enormous amounts of money from people who do business with the state. Every lobbyist, everybody knows lobbyists in Albany were told you have to raise $250,000. Everybody wants a cannabis license. Everybody's got a nursing home, every developer, She raised an enormous amount of money. So I knew that I couldn't compete on that level because I'm not the incumbent. Uh, And I've been out uh, raising money from people who really believe in my vision. And I've been talking directly to to voters. I'm losing my voice as you can hear, (laughs) Uh, because I've been talking so much. Uh, I've done telephone town halls with over 100,000 registered Democrats, out meeting people on a regular basis. And uh, I'm constantly trying to sell my message that, one, I'm a proven executive that gets things done. Two, I'm a common sense Democrat. I'm not going to pander to the left. I'm not going to back down to the right. I'll work with anybody who wants to actually help people and get things done. And third, I'm running on the issues that people care about, crime, taxes and affordability and helping our kids in our troubled schools. And now I throw in attacking the
0: corruption in New York State. It's the most corrupt state in the United States of America. Mm hmm. Okay, that's a lot. Let's dig in on a few of those things. Um, You've been you've been talking a lot about crime, a lot about bail reform. Uh, um, You uh, were an early endorser of Eric Eric Adams. You seem very aligned on a similar agenda. You've agreed. uh, Eric
1: Adams asked me to serve as his deputy mayor. I said, I'm not going to be a deputy mayor. I'm running for governor. I could do more to help (laughs) you in the city as a governor. Is he going to endorse you? I doubt it. He's got to get too many things from the state. And if he tries to do that, they won't give him mayoral reform, mayoral control. They won't give him help on bail reform, which he's been pleading for for some time. And the governor won't help him. Uh, They won't give him help with money issues. Uh, It'd be very difficult for him to do that. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm hoping he stays out of the race. Uh Interesting. Um Interesting. so, so talking a lot about that, uh, you know, uh, I hope obviously that people are listening to this interview, but you've done other interviews. you've you've gone into that at some length. Maybe if we have time, I want to come back to that issue. But let's talk about some of these others. On affordability, on uh, taxes, what would a Governor Swazi do to make New York a more affordable state?
1: We have to cut income taxes by at least ten percent. We have to show the people that we're listening to them. Uh, you know, we have the this is not an emotional thing. It's not a subjective thing. New York state has the highest state and local taxes in America. And people are leaving. People are we, we had more net out of migration from New York in 2021 than any other state in the United States of America. 314,000 people net out migration. And it's because of crime. Uh, but it's also because of taxes and affordability and people just can't, can't take it. And, uh, we have to do something about property taxes as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. Um, property taxes are the most regressive tax. When I ran against Spitzer, I ran on a property tax cap and he was against that idea. But a year later he appointed me as chairman of the New York state commission on property tax relief. And I wrote a report about why property taxes were so high and what we needed to do to fix it. And, uh, uh, Patterson actually reappointed me when uh, Spitzer got in trouble. And I sold it throughout the state, and we got a property tax cap under Cuomo. Now we yes, have to man. actually, we didn't get it in New York City. We only got it right. outside of the city. Mm-hmm. Now we need to actually reduce the property taxes, especially uh, for senior citizens who are often house rich and income poor. Mm -hmm. that their houses
0: have uh, inflated a lot of people that are leaving for uh, Florida and and others, you know, other States. And that's, and that's a long time trend in New York.
1: Oh yeah. Anybody who listens to your podcast knows somebody that moved to Florida, moved to North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Arizona. Mm -hmm. When I was born New York state had 45 members of Congress based upon our relative population to the rest of the country. Today, we have 27 members of Congress and it's going down to 26 in January because of the new census. It's not sustainable.
0: We can't survive this way. So there's there's some salt. Right. There's some there's some of that that's seemingly inevitable, warmer weather. You know, you can't you can't control for some of that. But and I, Canada's growing a lot colder than we are. <laughs> so but on so you want to cut income taxes, cut property taxes, do split, you know, square for people. If you do that, how you don't um, reduce government services, how do you do that and not um, or or do you? I mean, or I know how to down. run government walk and I'm down. a lifelong Democrat. I created a national model. For
1: health and human services in Nassau County called No Wrong Door, where you can actually serve people better and save money in the process. We spend two and a half times the cost of the national average, two and a half times the cost of the national average on Medicaid, more than Florida and Texas combined. Florida and Texas are both bigger states than New York State. We spend more on Medicaid than Florida and Texas combined. We spend more per student than any state in the United States of America. And our results are below average. We have to we have to, and I, I would actually increase state aid uh, for schools, but tie it towards property tax reductions because our schools are funded so to increase trade.
0: state aid, but but have localities scale back property taxes, and therefore you're you're tilting the, the balance of the aid towards the state and away from the localities. Correct, because uh-huh.
1: property taxes
0: are regressive.
1: They're not based upon your ability to pay. And people can, I've been doing these town halls in person and on the telephone. I, all I hear about is crime and I can't afford to live here over and over and over again. People who like, you know, I, I'm, I'm paying a third of my social security on utility bills. I'm wearing more sweaters and turning the heat down. I'm buying food on credit cards, uh, even though I had a job where I was making six figures and I retired years ago,
0: and I just can't i don't have any money left across the board as you're getting at things are very expensive in New York. One of the roots of that is labor is um, that it's a that's a strong union state at least relative to many other states in the country um, and as we as we've seen with a number of um, government projects. I know you've been critical of the governor's deal on the Buffalo Bill Stadium, but part of that state subsidy, a big part of that state subsidy is to ensure that there's union labor on the on the project. Um, we can come to that deal again in a minute, but how do you cut those costs down? How do you get more bang for the buck in education, in healthcare, and so forth without hurting New York as this strong labor state? Well, let me
1: first say that I'm the chair of the Labor Caucus in Congress. I am incredibly pro-union. I always have been. And since I've gone to Washington, D.C., I'm even more so because unions are hated in many parts of the country compared to New York. New York is one of the we take for granted how strong our unions are here in New York State. And they should be. And I believe in unions. Uh, But most people who run government. uh, Most executives haven't ever run anything before. They don't have the skills. They're good. They give good speeches and they got good ideas and they're good politicians, but they never ran anything. I'm a proven executive trained as a certified public accountant and attorney. I was the mayor of my small city. I was the county executive of a county bigger than 11 states in the United States of America. Nassau County was rated the worst run county in America when I took over. Literally the worst run county in America. It's a relatively wealthy county compared to a lot of places in the country. yet in, in good economic times, it was on the brink of bankruptcy one step above junk bond status. I turned it around. I, I, I raised taxes actually my first year in office, but I also uh, reduced the workforce uh, through attrition. I didn't I would never lay anybody off uh, mm-hmm. through attrition. I consolidated departments. I used technology. I did literally a hundred different blocking and tackling things to run government better. And I created model programs uh, for cleaning up uh, pollution, uh, for uh, social services. And when I left, we had the lowest crime rate in the United States of America for any community over 500,000 people. Mm -hmm.
0: So one of the areas where the governor is in charge, but there's obviously a complicated uh, structure is the MTA. The MTA, uh, for all of the ways in which uh, former Governor Cuomo was sometimes lionized by some for his ability to get things done in government, was one of these areas where clearly there were, um, you know, major problems with. Is taking ownership taking leadership um, and and real problems festered there uh, over over many years and we still see problems although you know management in some ways has improved we still see problems again with this issue of cost efficiency and that the MTA can't build much for anywhere near the bang for the buck that uh, other places in the world can do do you have a sense of how you'd run the MTA? differently as governor than it's been run in the past and ways in which the MTA can be streamlined to provide better service and be able to do the expansion projects that would help New York grow?
1: Well, you know, Penn Station is very, very near and dear to me, having uh, lived <laughs> in the city from 84 to 91 and commuting back and forth from Penn Station over many years as well. And it's a wreck. And there's no plan in place. And this governor has put the priorities of the developer, Stephen Roth, at Vornado ahead of the commuters and the people who live in the area. She's put the towers in front of the trains. Uh, I was chairman of the New York Metropolitan Transportation Council uh, when I was county executive in Nassau County. I actually won an award from the Rudin Center at NYU for transforming NIMTECH and getting us to work on a regional basis instead of just uh, one one part of the region at a time. I brought everybody together, changed the way that, that, that agency was run. I'm sure it's back to the way it was in the old days, quite frankly, but um, I know how to, how to build things. When I was the mayor of Glen Cove, I built a new city hall, a new courthouse, a new police station, a new EMS building, all on time, all on budget. As county executive in Nassau County, I built a new county seat, taking a historic building and restoring it and making it the new executive and legislative chambers, as well as building a new health and human services center and a whole bunch of other things. I know how to work through the bureaucracy of government with unions, with the rules of government and get things done on time, on budget with a very, very, uh, sometimes... uh, micromanaging approach to detail, but -hmm. at the same time, bringing in talented people around me uh, who know how to get things done, not based upon their party, not based upon their politics, but based upon their ability to get things done. Every politician says, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. I've got a record Uh, Of 16 years as a chief executive in government and five and a half years in Congress of delivering money back to the state of New York uh, and getting things done. So I believe that uh, with the MTA and with the state generally, I'll run it better, more effectively, more efficiently and better for the taxpayers with the people's interest at heart
0: is there a, a management structure there that needs to be changed is there an approach to the way the mta contracts that needs to be changed is there any sort of sweep you know if if there's one Major structural leadership change that, you know, you would you would look to do uh, month one, first hundred days, so to speak. Uh, I, what,
1: I wish I had an answer for that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you know, when you're the governor, you have tens of thousands of employees when you're a member of Congress or running for governor. You have 15 employees. Mm-hmm. So I don't have the, the the bandwidth to know all the ins and outs of, of the best way to do it but I would use my skills that I've developed over the years. For example, when I came into Nassau County, I got a $2.9 billion operation, bigger than 11 states. My budget was bigger in Nassau County than Bill Clinton's budget was when he was governor of Arkansas. I used to joke with him about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was no organizational chart. And I set up a new structure where I created a, five deputy county executives based upon verticals of operation. Public safety was one. Health and Human Services was another, Finance was another, Parks and Public Works was another, and Economic Development was another one. And you, ha- the idea is, is that you as the chief executive can't have everybody report to you. You can't have every department report to you, but you have people who, uh, a limited number of people who report to you and you hold them accountable to report back to you on what's going on for the people that work for them by setting up an organizational structure. One of the best things that I bring to the job which I would have never known it when I was younger is I was trained as a CPA and I went, was an auditor for Arthur Anderson and company. And I went out and, you know, questioned uh, uh, companies about how they ran things and set up flow charts and operations. And i learned how to, how do you run things and how do you hold people accountable? Uh, So, and now I've done it. i you know, I did it as mayor for eight years, did as county executive for eight years. I know how to put those structures in place for complex
0: organizations. There is a uh, major need for more housing, including affordable housing in New York. Uh, One of the areas people often point to is at the very least near the major transit hubs along the Long Island Railroad. What is your philosophy about how to increase housing supply and uh, including affordable housing, of course, but not only affordable, you know, rent regulated apartments um, in New York state, including Long Island. I've
1: been talking about that for 20 years. 20 years ago, I started talking about cool downtowns. I said, young people are not moving here. Uh, they're not interested in suburbia. They don't want it to be quiet and a nice tree lined street and go to the baseball parade on Sundays. There people used to get married in their early 20s. Now they get if they if they get married, they get married in their 30s. So from 20 to 30, no young people were coming to the Long Island. We had a massive brain drain. So I said we have to create cool downtowns. We have to create rental apartments in downtowns around train stations. We need to build offices and we need to build restaurants and bars and shops. And we need to make it fun for young people to live there. Well, it's also been great for empty nesters as well. We need to create a lot more supply of housing, which will help to reduce cost. And we need to actually target affordable housing uh, as well by providing tax incentives to do it. And we need to limit the amount of rate of return that a developer can make on their money, less than 10%, which most developers won't complain about. When you hear about developers getting so rich, it's usually like these one-off cases that sour it for everybody else. Most developers, most people that invest in multifamily housing, like pension funds and insurance funds, uh, would be more than happy with a 6 7% return. They don't need to make a big killing on it. They want long-term patient capital. So we need to build a lot more affordable housing. We need to provide tax incentives to do so, provide unions with prevailing wage to get a piece of that work, and we need to limit the rate of return for developers, which will not hurt developers, because most developers don't make more than that anyway, and will stop the it, the the extraordinary
0: examples that end up souring people on these tax credit deals to begin with. Now, I saw this in your in your housing plan and your website, the, um, you know, incentivizing localities to increase transit oriented development, as you're talking about in, in, in suburban downtowns, uh, in part why I asked you about that. Are you ready to take, uh, you know, can you, uh, you know, guarantee to people that you'd be ready to take on some of those battles? Because if you're successful in this race, a lot of it's going to be due to suburban support, especially your own. I, I
1: did it for 20 years. I did mm. it as, when I was a county executive in Nassau
0: County. But now you got to go further.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm saying I did it in my own county and I pushed for cool downtowns. And we have multifamily housing. Look at the Mineola train station and all the housing. There. There's thousands, thousand units around the train station there now. We have it in Farmingdale. We have it in, uh, in Patchogue. We have it in uh, Rockville Center. Uh, we have it in Glen Cove, my hometown. We have it in all kinds of places because we went out and pushed for that to happen. We changed the mindset. I was criticized by the Republicans. They said, Swazi is gonna make Nassau County the sixth borough, which was really code word for for race issues. But in reality, we got it done. And I'm more than so. I, like I said before, every politician says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you say, oh, well, you have the guts to stand up to push transit oriented housing in suburbia. Yes, I've done it. I've been doing it my whole career.
0: I only have you for a few more minutes here. You've got a busy schedule and thanks for the thanks for the time here. So let me sneak in two more questions. One, there's been a, a bit of attention. You have a very big stock portfolio. You missed some disclosures that you said you didn't know you had to f- fulfill, but you are. Um Two sort of uh, yeah, uh, short answer questions on that. One, uh, are you going to release your tax returns before the primary? And two, um, can you assure New Yorkers that you have never done any insider trading? You know, use inside absolutely. information as a mm-hmm.
1: absolutely. There's never been an allegation of insider trading, mm-hmm. and the fact that you brought it up is inappropriate. Nobody's oh, ever suggested in any way. I've done an annual disclosure every single year of every one of my stock transactions every year 100% annual disclosure i was questioned because i didn't do a periodic disclosure 45 days after every trade i have since done every single periodic uh transaction disclosure
0: there's never ever I, i'm not saying there's any allegations i'm saying, I'm saying there's, there's the never attention. been any allegation of sure, anything sure. The and attention so, on members of Congress owning stocks and and yeah, those that's, who that's
1: have never happened with me. whatsoever. I've been doing this for thirty years. That's why I'm it's asking. Never been any you, allegations you, of I can
0: guarantee that to New Yorkers. That that that's yeah. all.
1: And let me just say that
0: um, mm. that
1: uh, all of my trading of stock is done by an, a broker who has complete discretion. I have no say over what to buy and sell. As a matter of fact, I'm pissed off because I just looked at a trade he did the other day. I lost a lot of money, but it, uh-huh. it didn't make any sense to me. So, okay. but
0: I have no say over it whatsoever. Uh-huh. Okay. And will you be releasing your your tax returns?
1: My my financial information is heavily disclosed mm-hmm. in my financial disclosures for Congress, which are publicly accessible. I do an extension on my tax returns. They're complicated every year. I will not have my tax returns available uh, by June twenty-eighth. But I anybody right. want to ask any questions about anything right. about me financially, I'll be
0: happy to tell you exactly what I, I've got and what I do. Uh, last quick question. And I got to let you go. I know you have something else, but just, um, take a minute, at, from the perspective of Nassau County and talk about the shifting politics that you're a part of. Um, Nassau County has typically gone democratic in, uh, in many elections, including yours. Well, I
1: was I was the first Democrat with a Democratic legislator since 1917. So it was always the strongest Republican machine in the country. I was part of the wave that turned that around. (laughs) There you go. And it's and then I lost eight years later to Ed Mangano uh, in a race where I lost by I think it was. 386 votes out of 250,000 votes. Mm -hmm. He's since been sentenced to 12 years in prison for bribery and corruption.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So
1: it's not historically been Democratic. It's historically been Republican. And when they lost a very popular county executive, Laura Curran, lost her reelection because of a wave election and because of bail reform, which has actually just wrecked her and she didn't deserve it. She's very talented, was very popular, and she lost because of the state Democrats' Uh, and the bail reform issue. And that will continue to be a problem
0: on Long Island and suburbia. And I think it's going to hit the city as well. All right. I got to let you go. Uh, I'd like to keep you for much longer, but you have other things to do. I appreciate the time. Uh, well, let me just let me just yeah. wrap up one thing. If sure. I can. You know,
1: uh, Kathy Hochul, 43 uh, percent of New Yorkers say City will not vote for her in the general election. Only 40% say they will vote for her in the general election. That's a pretty bad place to be in May before the November elections. We're we're in trouble at the national level. 69% of New Yorkers say they're unhappy with Kathy Hochul's uh, dealing with crime in New York State. 63% are opposed to the Buffalo Bills deal. Uh, Forget about Brian Benjamin and and the other stuff that's going on. Kathy Hochul will, will have a very hard time winning a general election. If Democrats wanna keep New York State in Democratic hands, they should elect Tom Swazi in the Democratic primary because we've got a lot of very important issues. You brought up choice earlier. There's a whole bunch of other issues. If Democrats want to keep New York state, they've got to vote for Tom Swazi on June 28th in the Democratic primary.
0: All right. Appreciate that closing statement. Are we looking forward to the debates you're going to do in June? And and maybe we'll get a chance to catch up one more time before the primary, because I didn't get to some climate environmental questions for you and a variety of other things. New York to... state environmentalist of the year by the New York <laughs> league of conservation I w- voters. I wanted to ask for your take on uh, implementing marijuana legalization and how that's going to go and how it would go under your leadership and a few other things. So we'll get to that maybe in another interview before primary day, but thanks for the time. Appreciate it. And, uh, and be well
1: anytime you ha- you'll have me I'll be on thanks so all much right.
0: thanks a lot it, all right be well